Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Well, let's go ahead and begin our time of study. We're moving into the fourth chapter of Revelation. We're going to deal with the entire chapter. So let me just read that for us. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne comes uh, come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God." And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when they, and when the living creatures uh, give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of you, because of your will, they, they, they existed and were created. So we have dealt with the introductional part, chapter 1. Then we moved into the letters to the seven churches. We finished those seven church letters last week. And let me just kind of go back to the last two verses, or couple of verses uh, from last week, uh, basically Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So, we end the letters to the churches with an invitation. Jesus is knocking on the door. Anyone who opens the door of their heart and invites Jesus in will be with him in heaven. That's the picture that we have. He will come in and dine with them and they with him. And he will invite them and they will become uh, a part of his people in heaven. I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So now we're really looking at 
really the third phase of the book of Revelation. We've seen the things which were, which are, and now we're going to be dealing with the things which you have, uh, which, which are yet to come. And so we look and we see, first we dealt with uh, the things which you have seen, the past. We know that it speaks of Jesus. We know that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who's already died for our sins, risen victorious over death, and who gives us the gift of salvation, eternal life. So that is what has already taken place. He is the one in the beginning of the book of Revelation. He is the one that, uh, that John sees and hears. And then we dealt with the, uh, what is here, the present. Uh, and basically what that was is what we call the church age. It began at Pentecost some 2,000 years ago when the gospel was preached after Jesus was ascended into heaven. And at that time, some 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. And from that time on, we have continued the church age, and it's still continuing. And it will continue until really what we know as the rapture. Uh, John and uh, Paul all speak of this time where we will no longer be here on earth. We will escape the judgment. We will not face God's wrath. All those type things point to that the church will not go through the time of tribulation. And we also see rapture is being described as when Jesus comes in the air and those who have already died in faith, they will rise first, and then those who are left behind uh, will rise and meet him in the air. So that is the picture of the rapture. Now, if you look at uh, verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, he's now in heaven. That's almost like the picture of the rapture, that, that God actually raptures John spiritually and brings him into heaven. And so now we're dealing with the things which will take place after these things. What is the things that it takes place after? It takes place after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It takes place after the church age, the letters to the seven churches. So now these things will take place after the church age. And so if you look at chapter 4, basically what you're going to find is that there is a central focus, and it's the throne room in heaven. And who sits on that throne? Well, we look and we see uh, from Revelation chapter 3 uh, that I just read to you. He says, He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. So Jesus and God are sitting on the throne. This is a, uh, the way for us to understand that God the Father and God the Son are one. They are one entity, one being. And so we see that. And so, why are we focusing on this throne room in heaven? What's the purpose? Well, if you notice everything that happens in chapter 4 and chapter 5 that we'll get to next week is worship. Everything that happens is pointing to Jesus as being worthy of worship, that He is the only one worthy of worship. And because of that, He also is the only one worthy to judge because that's what the third part of Revelation is going to be about, is the judgment of those who have rejected the Son of God. And so that judgment means that somebody has to be worthy to judge. Now, on the other side of that part of Revelation, 
It's the church age. Jesus is the only one worthy to die for our sins. He's the only one that was sinless. He's the only one worthy to die in our place for our sins. But now that the church age is over, no longer is the church here. He is now the only one worthy to bring judgment. And so that's really the whole picture of chapters 4 and 5 is the worship of Jesus. He is holy, 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 and He is the only one who has all authority and power and is worthy of worship and praise and also worthy to be judged. So let's kind of go back to uh, verse 1. It says, After these things I looked. And so again, we're looking at the church age being over, that Jesus has knocked on the door for people to open up their hearts and minds and souls to Him as Savior and Lord. Those who accepted that invitation will now be with Him in His Father's house, in the throne room of the Lord. And so John now sees an open door. Notice the uh, in verse 1, a door standing open in heaven. So he knows that that open door is for the people of, the, of God, the children of God, to come. And so he is invited into the very throne room of God uh, in heaven to witness that Jesus is worthy of worship and he has the right to judge his people. So this picture of the throne room in heaven is really powerful. Then the uh, next part of verse uh, 1 says, and, I, and the first voice which I had heard, that like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here. And so if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John also had the same experience. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. So this is the same individual that John was witnessing uh, back in chapter 1, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, he is now hearing again the voice of his Lord. And so everything that happens here is Jesus speaking to John and showing him what is actually taking place in heaven. Heaven is going to be a unique thing. And notice one thing. As John is describing the things of heaven, he uses this word, multiple times, like. He doesn't say it is, like he says, and the one sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance in verse 3. So when we look at Revelation, very seldom can we take things as being literal. John is trying to describe spiritual, eternal, heavenly things with earthly descriptions. Can't be done. So he's doing his best. I think Jesus, through his inspiration, is giving him the best ways to try to describe the things in heaven with earthly things. Now let's kind of pick up with uh, the first thing he sees is the one sitting on the throne. First of all, he sees the throne uh, in heaven. First of all, if we see a throne in heaven, it's a permanent fixture. It means that God is always on His throne. He is always there. It's not that He is absent at any time. He is always our Lord. He is always our God. And then He tells us that the one sitting on the throne is like Jasper Stone and Sardis in appearance. What does that mean? Well, it can mean a lot of different things, but... The high priest 
his robe had stones on the breastplate, had 12 stones, each representing one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The first stone just happens to be Jasper. The last stone happens to be Sardis. So this is kind of that picture of what we keep seeing throughout the book of Revelation. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first stone and the last stone on the breastplate of the uh, high priest. And so that's really the picture that Jesus is Lord over all. And then it says, And he saw a rainbow like an emerald around the throne. What's our picture biblically of the rainbow? We're not talking about present day with the GBT, whatever, uh, gay rights and everything. What does the Bible talk about as far as the rainbow? It's a picture of what? A promise. God promised that he would never destroy the earth by flood. Now he's going to keep another promise. His promise found throughout the prophets, throughout the word of God, is that there would be a day that he would bring his judgment to mankind. And so this uh, rainbow is not reminding us that he's not going to flood the earth and destroy it. This time he's keeping another promise in that he would destroy the earth in a different way with fire. That is his way of judgment. So then we look and we see in verses 4 through 11, really through the rest of the chapter, we see those who are in the throne room with our Lord. The first group are 24 elders, and each one of them have their own throne. Now, there are so many different ways that people have tried to describe who these 24 elders are. Uh, I've heard many people say that uh, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel as well as the 12 apostles. Well, some say, well, they just basically represent the, those who are people of faith in the Old Testament and the people of faith in the New Testament. Some say that in the worship of God uh, in, the, in the temple that there were 24 officers in the sanctuary and they each had uh, a course under the Levitical priest. A lot of 24s in the Bible. Basically, the word 24 is a double completion. 12 is a completion and 24 is that double completion. It's representative. So instead of trying to read something in that the Bible doesn't say what it is, Basically, what we need to see is that it is represented, re representative of the redeemed in Christ, Old Testament and New, all who have placed their faith in our Lord. Now, these are not angels. Notice that they are uh, dressed in white, washed by the blood of the Lamb. They're wearing gold crowns, representing the crown of life that they received uh, as they surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Christ. And so they represent the redeemed of Christ, those whose clothing has been washed in the blood of Christ, is glowing white now, those who have been given the crown of victory, the, the crown of life, the golden crown. And so they are the ones who are now representing all the redeemed in the throne room of the Lord. Now, it could be that these 24 represent things that we're not told uh, I think oh, the simplest way to, to show this representation is just look at them as the redeemed in Christ throughout the, throughout the ages. And then from the throne, flashes of lightning and peals of thunder 
come from the seven lamps of fire, which represent the seven spirits of God. Now this isn't the first time we've seen representation of the seven spirits of God. And before we talked about that there is only one spirit, the Holy Spirit, but he is seen as having basically the, the fullness is the word seven. And even Isaiah speaks of a sevenfold attribute of the spirit. He describes the spirit of God as having wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, reverence, and deity. And the lightning and thunder represents judgment. Now, why is the Holy Spirit a part of this judgment? Remember, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. He will be just as much of a part of the judgment as God the Father and God the Son. And so it represents uh, His force in life. Now, the Holy Spirit is a, was first brought to the to earth as a comforter for those who love the Lord. Well, after the rapture, who's going to be left? Not the church. So what will be the role of the Holy Spirit then? Well, He will be the one representing the lightning and the thunder, the fiery judgment. So He will be a part of that judgment that will yet to come. So we see the 24 elders... Those are, I think, representative of the redeemed in Christ. And then we see four living creatures, full of eyes in front and back. Now these really fit the description of seraphim. Uh, we basically see uh, Ezekiel and several of the other uh, prophets describing these who have six wings. They are there are angels who are specifically uh, geared for a specific purpose, but they are angels who have six wings. With two, they cover their eyes. With two, they fly. And with two, they cover their feet. And it says that they are full of eyes, front, behind. And if you look uh, further, it says in verse 8, and are full of eyes around and within. This basically just says they are all-knowing, all-seeing. Now, they are not God but they are specific uh, angels of God. They have a specific purpose, and we're going to see what that purpose is. Now, John describes each one as having an individual face, one like a lion, one like a calf, one like a man, and one like a flying eagle. If you go back to Ezekiel and look at his description, which is very similar to this throne room of God, he describes each one as having four faces with each of these descriptions on each one. How we distinguish the two, I don't fully understand, but basically Ezekiel and John are describing the same picture in heaven with these same seraphim. Now with the many eyes, they show their awareness, their alertness, they know exactly what's going on in that throne room. And why would they need eyes behind them if they're facing the Lord in worship? I don't think anybody's going to be able to break into heaven, but it's the picture that they are making sure that nothing happens in that throne room that could defile it. And so they're worshipers, but also kind of the sentries going around the throne of God. Uh, so it's just that picture that they see all that's going on. And so John is kind of the outcast. He's not really supposed to be there. He is not dead. He's not, he has not been martyred. He is not, uh, but God, Jesus invited him to come so that he could witness these things. 
So then we pick up verse 8, and here really is the crux of chapters 4 and 5, worship. The whole purpose of these two chapters is to point us to the, the reason for worship. Let me just pick up verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. That's showing, number one, that the one on the throne is worthy of worship. Now, it says that they do this continuously, without cease, day and night. Should there ever be a split second that our Lord is not being worshipped? No. He is worthy of our worship at all times. And so these created beings, these angels, these seraphims, their primary Reason for existence is to worship the Lord on His throne. And He is holy, holy, holy. That three-time emphasis of how holy He is. There is no sin in our Lord. He is without blemish. He is perfect. And He is the Lord God. That shows that He is God over all. The Almighty. There is no power other than Him. And who was and who is and who is to come. He's, he has existed in eternity past. He is existing now and he will continue to exist in eternity future. So we look and these four living creatures bow before him continuously, day and night, praising him for his holiness. That shows that he is worthy to be worshiped. And then, when the, uh, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, then the four, 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before uh, the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So first we see the four living creatures bowing before the throne, praising the Lord, worshiping Him, showing that He alone is worthy of worship. And then we see the representative of the redeemed in Christ also bowing before Him. They got off of their thrones and now kneel before our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven at His throne. And they begin to worship Him, the same One, the One who lives forever and ever. And anything of worth that they had, the crown, the golden crown upon their head, they placed before His feet. They cast it before the feet of Christ. They're basically saying, we're not worthy, but you are. Take all that is ours, because it is you are the only one worthy of praise. And so they begin to also worship the Lord. Verse 11 again says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created everything, all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. And so we look and we see this whole picture is nothing but worship. Now, what's the purpose of worship? It's to say that the one that we are worshiping is worthy. 
That's really the only reason why we're supposed to worship God is to say, Lord, you are worthy. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of all that we have. You're worthy of our greatest possession. These 24 uh, elders took off their golden crowns and cast them before Jesus' feet. It's the picture of us saying, Lord, I surrender all to you. All to you is yours. I don't, I don't claim anything as my own. Anything that you have given me, which the Lord Jesus is the one who gave them the crowns of victory, they return and say, we're not worthy. We want to surrender our all back to you. And so the whole picture again of this chapter is showing that our Lord who sits on the throne is worthy. Now, first of all, he had to be worthy to die for our sins. We as Christians believe that he was and still is, that he was sinless, that he came to this earth not only to teach us how to live, but he taught us how to die. He showed us that he gave his all for us. He took upon himself the guilt and the penalty of our sins and died in our place. And he was the only one worthy to do that. Now that the church is no longer on earth, now that the church has been raptured, those who remain are no longer worthy of the golden crown. They're not worthy of the crown of life. They are worthy of judgment. And so now... The picture is, not only are you worthy of worship, you're also worthy to judge. We don't like to think about that part. We, we like to think about what Jesus still is doing in the church age, which is what we still live in. That Jesus is still active as our Savior and our Lord. But there's going to be a time when the church no longer exists on this earth. And then He will become the judge. When Jesus comes that second time, His second coming, He will not come as Savior. He will come as judge. So the first coming, He had to be worthy to come to save us. The second time, He has to be worthy to judge. And so this whole picture in the throne room of heaven is to show us that Jesus, number one, is worthy of worship for His salvation, for us as His saints, but He is also worthy of judgment. So we look and we see that uh, as we see in this scene, the four living creatures are the first ones to begin to, to bow down before the Lord and they sing this praise of, of, of holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, uh, who was and who is and who is yet to come, or who is to come. And then you have the second wave. Twenty-four elders come and they bow down before the throne and they began to worship the Lord. And if you did take a little peek over into chapter 5, you're going to find out that every living creature on the earth, under the earth, in the sea, will also worship Him. So we look and we see that the whole picture of chapter 4 and later in chapter 5 is that He is worthy of worship. He is the only one worthy to save us. And he is the only one worthy to judge mankind. So we look at this picture, and at first you go, okay, do I want to be a seraphim where all I do for 24-7 is to sing holy, 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 Lord God Almighty? That's, their, that's why they were created. God created them for that one act of worship. And it is a continual act of worship. And they're setting the stage for us to understand that, that God is always worthy of worship. 
There's no second, there's no time ever that he is not worthy of worship. The 24 elders, I think, represent us, the redeemed in Christ, those who have lived and died and now are with his Lord, with our Lord in heaven, and they represent those who now sit at his throne. They have received the, the crown of life, the victor's crown, and they, they begin to worship him as well, as well as we will when we step into heaven. I believe that we too will cast any, any gift, any reward that we receive from our Lord for our faithfulness. I believe that we'll do exactly what these 24 elders will do, that we will bow down and we will cast our rewards, our crowns at his feet and proclaim him as worthy. Because if that didn't happen, I have a feeling that heaven wouldn't be heaven. Because somebody would say, I got a bigger crown than you do. I got more rewards than you do. No, our hearts will be whatever reward I have been given by the Lord is because of what he has done for me. And I will return that reward at his feet as an act of worship. So the Bible says that we as Christians will also be judged, not by our sins, but by our faithfulness. And that our rewards will be according to our faithfulness. Now, do we want to just sneak into heaven and just barely get a reward because we, we okay, we, we, all we did was trust enough to say that He is Lord and Savior of our lives? Or are we going to truly live ongoing faithful lives so that whatever rewards we will receive will be ample rewards to lay at His feet one day? So chapter 4, and we'll also see in chapter 5, is primarily proving that he is worthy of worship. He's worthy of being our Savior. He's also worthy to be our judge, to be the judge of the world. All right, well, let's close with a time of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, we know that you are still on your throne. You are still in control of all that takes place in this world. Lord, we do reap the consequences of our own choices. And Lord, we realize that our once great nation is falling quickly. Lord, simply because they do not know you as Savior and Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to be your witnesses, to, to be the ones that, uh, Lord, invite people to, to know who you are, to share our go the gospel plan of salvation. Lord, to just simply invite them to come to, to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, give us wisdom to know how we can best minister to the needs around us and to share your love. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Give us wisdom and guidance in all we do. Lord, thank you for the truth that we have heard today, that you truly are always worthy of worship. Lord, you are the only one worthy to, to be worshipped because that you were worthy to be the one to come and save us from our sin. Lord, you're also worthy to come and judge mankind. Lord, we trust you in all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.